The following audio is from Community Bible Church in Nashville, Tennessee. For more information about our church, please visit us online at cbcnashville.org. Um, the scripture reading this morning is from, just double check, is from Isaiah 25, verses 1 through 9. Um, please remain standing for the reading of God's word. This is what God says in his word. O Lord, you are my God. I will exalt you. I will praise your name. For you have done wonderful things, plans formed of old, faithful and sure. For you have made the city a heap, the fortified city a ruin. The foreigner's palace is a city no more. It will never be rebuilt. Therefore, strong peoples will glorify you. Cities of ruthless nations will fear you. For you have, have been a stronghold to the poor, a stronghold to the needy in his distress, a shelter from the storm and a shade from the heat, for the breath of the ruthless is like a storm against a wall, like a heat in a dry place. You subdue the noise of the foreigners as heat for, by the shade of a cloud, so the song of the ruthless is put down. On the mountain, on this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food full of marrow, of aged wine well-refined. And he will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all peoples, the veil that is spread over all nations. He will swallow up death forever, and the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces, and the reproach of his people will be, will, uh, be take, he will take away from all the earth. For the Lord has spoken. It will be said on that day, behold, this is our God. We have waited for him that he might save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. Let, let us be glad in the nations, or let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. This is God's word. You can be seated. Since it's a, a family service, if the kiddos want to come forward and sit down up front here, you can chat for a second. <laughs> encouraging everyone else. I love it. Oh. <laughs> How was your Christmas? Good. What are some, what were some of your favorite things? You have your your Christmas tree set up now? Oh, when did you set it up? Like right before Christmas? It's fun. So what what were some of your favorite things from Christmas? Presents. What was your favorite present? Do you have a favorite? Um, no. No? You just loved all of them? Yeah. What about you guys? Do you have favorite yeah, gifts or something? Present. What was that? A BB gun for my dad. A BB gun. Nice. Don't shoot your eye out. <laughs> what else? Eleanor, did you have a favorite? Um, spending, time spending time with your cousins, getting together with families, always fun. That was that was a highlight for me when I was a kid. Did you guys have something that was a favorite? What? Nintendo. <laughs> yeah, Nintendo. Oh boy. Hey Rosie. So what was it like heading like if you think back to a week ago, like the day before Christmas or even the month heading up to Christmas, what was it like as you were like waiting or anticipating for Christmas to come? Were you anxious? Until it was like the day to meet family, and I felt like it 
<laughs> so uh, you're counting down the days, waiting for you to come. Yeah, Coco? You had, what were your two favorite presents? Like a little green leg that put the green thing on the table. And do you know what the other present is? I don't. Yeah, it's, it's a Rudolph. Oh, fun. Sounds like some fun things. I'd like to find out more about those. So as you're, you're anticipating and waiting for Christmas, did anyone have a hard time sleeping on Christmas Eve? Yeah. Uh-huh. So... At, you're waiting on Christmas Eve, but then the day finally comes, and you're so excited because you get to spend time with family. You get to open those gifts. You get to discover the, the cool things that you've been given for Christmas. Well, w- one of the neat things about Christmas is as we anticipate something to happen, and then all of a sudden it comes, it, it kind of reminds us uh, of, of good things. And especially when we think about God's greatest gift to us at Christmas as he sent his son to rescue us as we look forward to Christmas and we celebrate that. We, rem- we, we remember God's faithfulness to us and then we look forward. We live from that point on remembering that if God was faithful in, in keeping his promise to send his son, he will be faithful to send his son again as he's promised. Does God ever break his promise, Coco? No, God never breaks his promise. So did God, Ezra, did God keep his promise in sending Jesus the first time? He did, right? So will God keep his promise in Jesus coming back again to rescue us? To make all things new like we've just sung? Well, that's what we're going to be learning about today. How Christmas is a good time for us to remember what God has done and that he will always keep his promise. We can look forward to Jesus coming again, okay? You guys can go back to your seats before you untie my shoe, Ellis. Stinker. Oh, too late. Oh, well. Don't get too distracted by my shoelace. Now you will. Okay, let's, let's pray and we'll, we'll dive into the word this morning. Father, we come before you just excited uh, about who you are, excited about your word. Father, I pray that you would help us to delight more and more in you uh, to uh, find joy and peace in your faithfulness. Help us during this season as we uh, celebrate the first advent of your son, that you would help us to, uh, in that, remember your faithfulness, that you are not slow to fulfill your promises, and you will send your son again, that we can... uh, stand with great confidence upon your word, upon your promises. We can trust you, knowing that your promises never fail. You're the God who loves us, who cares for us, and you will rescue us. Father, help us to uh, just more and more uh, have our focus on you, to turn away from the enticements of the world around us, those things that would cause us to doubt your goodness and your faithfulness, and to keep our eyes fixed on Christ. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, you can turn in your Bibles this morning uh, to 2 Timothy, or I'm sorry, 2 Peter chapter 3. 2 Peter chapter 3 will be there reading the entire chapter momentarily. But as I talked with the, with the kids about 
holidays and kind of special occasions help us to remember something from the past, but it also encourages us to look forward to the future. So we think about, uh, think about anniversaries, wedding anniversaries. As I celebrate my wedding anniversary with my wife on March 26th, I didn't even have that in my notes. As you celebrate your anniversary, you're looking back, remembering at what has happened, remembering that uh, that special day that you were married, that you're, you're celebrating this union between a husband and wife. You're celebrating it, but you're also, in a sense, looking forward. Because as we celebrate an anniversary, even if you don't go through an official uh, kind of uh, kind of re-going over your vows or anything like that, it is a reminder that you are not only married to this person at one point in time, but you are mo- moving forward with that person. It is, it is a reminder of, of your union with them, the, the covenant of marriage that you've entered into with them, the, the, your love for them. So you're moving forward. You think about various holidays uh, like uh, July 4th, Independence Day. It is remembering what happened, that we, we became an independent country. But it, we celebrate it every year because it's also a moving forward. It, it, it encourages us. It encourages our patriotism, remembering that we are in an independent country and we, we enjoy many of the rich benefits of being uh, in a, what we call it, a free country. This is very much what Christmas does for us, as I just explained with the kids. Christmas comes around and we celebrate the time, this time of year, as we think about Christ's first advent, Christ's first coming. We, we remember that he has come in time and space to, to rescue us, to redeem us. And yet, it's not simply something that we look back on, simply just remembering what has happened, but it's something that encourages us to look forward. Even though we're not told in Scripture to celebrate Christmas, there's many things that we remember throughout Christmas. And I think it's proper to remember Christ's birth, that he came. And I think it's a good thing even to remember every year because in remembering it every year, we are reminded of God's continued faithfulness. We are re- reminded that Jesus will come again because that is part of God's revealed uh, will to us, his, his promises to us in Scripture that Jesus will come again to make all things new. When you think of kind of the, the picture of holidays and feasts in the Old Testament, the, the Passover meal. The, the Jewish people were to celebrate the Passover meal every year. And as a reminder of them, as they look back on God rescuing them out of the land of Egypt, of God delivering them out of the, the bonds of slavery. But it's also then meant for them not only to remember the past, but to look forward to the future. And this is the, the same pattern that we see with all the, the various feasts that God gives the people of Israel it's a, something to remember what has happened in the past so we can move forward remembering God's faithfulness to us in the present and the future. This is very much the, the message of Deuteronomy that we're uh, currently in in our, our regular series. Moses is showing the people of Israel God's past faithfulness. 
his present faithfulness and his future faithfulness. We remember these things. Even now in the church, the things that God has very explicitly given us to remember as we think of baptism and the Lord's Supper, we, we celebrate these things knowing what God has done for us in Christ. And yet it's not just looking back, but looking forward. This is, I, I love that we celebrate the Lord's Supper every week because we are reminded every week as we take the elements what Jesus has done for us, that he was born, he, he tabernacled among us as John showed us last week. He, he dwelt among us so that he could perfectly fulfill the law of God, perfectly obeying all the things that we fail constantly in thought, word, and deed to keep. He kept perfectly even to the point of dying on a cross, redeeming us. We remember as we take the Lord's Supper that he did not stay dead, but he rose from the dead. He ascended on high and he comes again as, as we read uh, most, most every week from 1 Corinthians 11. We celebrate the Lord's Supper until he comes again. So it, re, it is this pattern of looking back, remembering what happened in the past so that it causes us to look forward to the future of God's continued faithfulness for us. So during this season, as we, we think about Christ's first coming, we think about it in a way that ought to encourage us to prepare for his second coming. So let's read together from 2 Peter chapter 3, beginning with verse 1. This is now the second letter that I'm writing to you, beloved. In both of them, I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles. Knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. They will say, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. For they deliberately overlooked this fact that the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God. And that by means of these, the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. But by the same word, the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved. That with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on them will be exposed." Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to his promise, we are waiting for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved... Since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without 
spot or, ring, or blemish at, and at peace and count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you, according to the wisdom given him, as he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters. There are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction, as they do the other scriptures. You, therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away by the error of lawless people and lose your stability, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory, both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. Well, as, as Peter is wrapping up this second letter, he, he's walking through these various things, and I just kind of want to briefly touch on some of these this morning. He begins in the first couple verses of chapter 3 by encouraging his readers to remember God's promises in Scripture. Remember God's promises in Scripture. As he, he speaks of the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles, he is saying, you, you want a sure foundation. You want to know the promises of God. You want to know what to stand on and to be confident in. Look to the word of God. Look to what the revealed will of God in Scripture. He has shown us his, his promises. And all of his promises are true. Look to Scripture. This is, as I, I mentioned just a moment ago, very reminiscent of Moses' sermons in Deuteronomy as he is encouraging the people to remember all that God had done for them. So often talking to the second generation, even as, as though they were the first generation, pleading with them and encouraging them not to fall into the pitfalls of unbelief, but to believe God, to trust him, to step forward in faith in the confidence of what God has commanded them to do. Not only the commandments to go in and, and take the, the promised land, but his commandments revealed in the Ten Commandments and his revealed will for them to, to obey him in all matters. So Peter begins here with the importance of remembering what God has done. And then he contrasts this as he encourages believers to look to scriptures to see what God has done. He talks of scoffers in verses 3 through 7. Scoffers who deliberately overlook what God has done. In fact, they, they scoff in the, in the sense of saying, all things continue as they were from the beginning. They, they willful, willfully overlook God's promises and his faithfulness. They ignore the testimony of his word. In fact, at the end of the chapter in verse 16, he says, the ignorant and unstable twist the scriptures to their own destruction. We, we tend to live with a kind of a view of our own existence as the, uh, the totality of kind of what we know as history. And in fact, this is even outside the church. It's taught that kind of, if you don't study history, you're bound to repeat history. This is the same thing with us as believers. If we don't study the word of God, if we don't know the word of God, if we don't know that what his word is true, 
that what he says has happened has indeed happened, that we have our confidence in that, we are bound to forget the message of Scripture that we are supposed to trust in God and trust in him alone, that we're supposed to flee from our own wisdom and, and the things that we believe to be true We need to trust in God's word, knowing that what he tells us is true is indeed true. It is our foundation. But the scoffers don't do this. They say all things have just continued the same since the beginning. You, You say that this judgment is coming, that Christ is returning. Well, all things continue just as they were. Nothing's changed. In my lifetime, I haven't seen any change. I know this story about, about Jesus. I, I know that he, he was around, existed, and he died. Nothing is changing. Nothing's new. There's nothing new under the sun. They scoff at our hope that we have. As they scoff, they, they go through a progression. There's no creator. It's interesting, as Peter points out to the... He's about to point to the judgment of the flood, but in pointing to the judgment of the flood, he first talks about creation. He says in verse 5, For they deliberately overlooked this fact that the heavens existed long ago, the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God. As soon as you say there's no creator, there's no God, then you immediately are saying there's no law. Because if there's no creator, there's no law giver. And therefore, there is no absolute true law. And if there's no creator and no law, then the next logical judgment, and this is the, the the logic of these scoffers, if there's no creator, no law giver, and no law, then there's no judgment. No coming judgment. And the logical conclusion of this is what we see throughout the pages of Scripture is everyone does what is right in his own eyes. Everyone does what is right in his own eyes. Because if there's no creator, no law, there's nothing to be judged. Therefore, there's no coming judgment. Therefore, I should live how I want, right? Eat, drink, and be merry. But Peter continues, we should not be like them. He says, as they deliberately, in verse 5, overlook these things, overlook the creation of the world and the, and the judgment in history and the flood and the judgment to come, we should not be a people, in verse 8, but do not overlook this one fact, he says, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. So first, as we are encouraged by Peter not to overlook these things, the first thing is we should make sure that we're not slothful and doubtful people. This is the pattern that we, would, that we might take from the, those who scoff in Scripture that all things continue. So it gives us a sense of sloth, a sense of laziness. 
hey, life is short. Things come and go. Nothing's changed since the beginning. It also gives us this sense of doubt where we begin to doubt God's faithfulness, doubt what his word says. In verse 17 of this chapter, he says, take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability. As we are in a world of, of people who are deliberately overlooking these things, deliberately overlooking, it reminds me of, of the beginning of Romans as, as Paul speaks of what is plainly revealed of God in creation. Enough for us to at least know that we are under law and under therefore under condemnation that they deliberately overlook that. And here Peter is saying we deliberately overlook these things. We deliberately, that the world, the scoffers are deliberately overlooking that there is a coming judgment on sin, a coming judgment on unbelief. And it's easy, Peter wouldn't give the command not to be carried away with the error of lawless people or we would lose our stability, it's clear that that is a threat to us as believers, that we can very easily waver and lose our stability as we are influenced by the world, the scoffers around us. As we are in this time where we are waiting for Christ to come again and the world around us kind of, oh really, he's coming. You really believe that? How long has it been? How long has it been since, you, since he came the first time? And you say he rose from the dead and he's coming again. It seems kind of like because it's been, you know, you're, you're coming up on 2,000 years. It's been a long time, so maybe he never rose from the dead in the first place. Because he's not going to come again if he didn't rise from the dead. Everything that you've based your faith on this whole system of religion that you have, it's all built on false hope. Come on, it's been a long time. The enemy casts doubts in our mind as we hear whether it's questions in our own head or questions posed by the outside world around us, we begin to waver, we begin to lose our hope and our confidence in what God has told us in his word as every year passes by and we're waiting for our Lord to come. But he tells us here in this passage, the thing that we're not to overlook is that with the Lord one day is a thousand years and a thousand years is one day that he's not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish. This is... As I was looking at this, I was thinking of our own sense of justice that we have because we do view our lives kind of self-centered in the sense of I, I have a hard time imagining history outside of my, the, the span of my own lifetime. We, are, we want things quick. I mean, it's not just our food that we pop in the microwave that we want quick. It's not just our Amazon deliveries that we want quick. It's, it's justice and God's promise is to be filled quickly. 
So we tend to be impulsive in our judgments against one another. We, we want, quick, um, want quickly for uh, justice to be exacted. And yet this passage is telling us about God, that he is the ultimate judge, and yet he is patient. He is not slow to fulfill his promise, but is patient toward you. So we know as we consider these things, we know God's faithfulness. We know that he has never broken a promise, so he will never break a promise. So instead of losing hope, we ought really to be encouraged that he is working in time and space to accomplish his promises, to redeem the elect. This is the high priestly prayer in John 17 as, as Jesus is praying not only for his disciples, but also for all those who would believe through his word that not one would perish. So we can have confidence that not a single one of the elect, not a single one will not be saved. And God is working in time to bring all of his chosen, all of his elect to himself. So as we think about this and we think about the hope that Peter is painting for us in this passage, we can know this, that even if Jesus were to come in the next few moments, or if Jesus is going to come not for another thousand years, all the elect that the Father chose in Christ before the foundation of the world will be saved. Every single one. So as we sit back and we are thinking, especially in our in, in our, the pain of, of disease and death, the pain of sin, all the things that seem to attack us, the sorrows of life, all of these things as we, as we sit in it and we long rightly for Jesus to come back, we need to remember that he is not slow to fulfill his promise. He is patient. And in the grand scheme of things, past the end of Jeremy Litz's life, he is still fulfilling his purposes to call each and every one of my brothers and sisters to himself. Really, it ought to excite us as, as we dwell, live in this place of the already not yet, as we are looking forward to Jesus coming, we can still rejoice knowing that his timing is perfect, that no one knows the day and the time of his return which is probably a really good thing that we don't. No one knows when he's going to come, but when he comes like a thief, it will be a certain time. And we know from scripture that he, that the father has appointed a time, a day in history that Jesus will come back. And we can have confidence in that. We can be excited about how he is gathering this great multitude together. I was thinking of, of Revelation 7 here. As it says, a great multitude that no one could number would cry out with a loud voice, salvation 
belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. So as we are waiting patiently and wondering why is it taking so long for him to return, well, we can think about that great day, the great day in eternity, and then that doesn't make any sense at all. But as we think forward to etern- look forward to eternity and standing with the vast multitudes of our brothers and sisters in the faith, not a single one of them will be lost because God is not slow to fulfill his promise. Not a single one. And history that we know of as this time before Christ's second coming, all of what is required will take place so that each and every one of them will be there on that wonderful day. So his patience, instead of being something to scoff at and being something for us that would cause us to doubt and to worry. His, his patience is actually showcasing his, his grace and his mercy and his love. It is a showcase for us as believers to know that he loves us and he loves all that he will call to himself. Peter then continues in the last handful of verses, just want to read verses 11 through 13 now, as he gives some immediate application, as we consider the faithfulness of God in the past, the faithfulness that he will come again, and he's coming again in judgment, he says this, since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God? because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to his promise, we are waiting for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Peter tells us to live lives of holiness and godliness, to live lives of faith in our faithful creator and savior, to recognize as God's elect as his chosen people that he has he has chosen us and set us apart to be holy so we're to live accordingly we're to delight in and obey his commandments that an example that not only Jesus draws on but Peter draws on in both both of his epistles he he looks to the judgment of the flood and to Noah he says in 2 Peter 2.5, he calls Noah a herald or a preacher of righteousness. The, this picture of the, the end of time being very much like the end of time for the mass of humanity at the time of the flood as Noah and his, and his sons are building the ark and the world around him is scoffing. What a ridiculous thing for this man to be doing. Why are you building this boat? Why are you laboring for all these years for this ridiculous thing? What are you going to do with it when it's done? It's just in the middle of the land here. What's, what's happening? But we're told in Scripture, and I think the understanding is that Noah was a preacher of righteousness. 
that him and his sons building the ark was a declaration to the fallen world around him to repent. It was a declaration to turn to God, to recognize there's a creator, a lawgiver, and therefore a coming judgment. This is very much where we find ourselves now as believers. We can live lives of holiness and godliness to be heralds of righteousness to the world around us, even as the world scoffs and says, it's not going to happen. We stand as the world sees our love for one another and our love for God, we stand as heralds of righteousness saying, no, there is a coming judgment. I know you don't see it now, just as ridiculous as it was for Noah building that big boat in the middle of wherever it was. A judgment is coming. Repent, believe in Jesus Christ and you will be saved. We can have confidence in that. So we're not called to withdraw from the world, but to live as a holy people in the world to proclaim the righteousness of God through the gospel of Jesus Christ. So you tie these things together. You say, okay, so I can't wait for Christ to come, which is, again, a good thing. We should all be saying, come, Lord Jesus, come. We're anxious for him to come. We're anticipating him to come again. But we are reminded as we are anxiously awaiting his return that God is not slow to fulfill his promises, patient. And as he is patient and bringing in all of the elect, we are here for that purpose of proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ for that very end goal, that, all, that he is gathering the elect to himself. And how shall they hear unless someone is sent? How shall they hear unless someone preaches the gospel of Christ so that they might hear the word and believe? That's what we're, that he, he, he has us here for that purpose. Verse 14, he says, Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. This made me think of the great commandments of love, love the Lord your God with all your whole, heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. We're be, to be diligent, to be found by him without spot or blemish, and at peace. We are, even though in our, in our frailty and our own sinfulness, we are, as much as we possibly can through the work of the Holy Spirit, more and more obeying and delighting in what God has commanded us to do so that we are more and more putting to death the sins of our flesh and living unto God, living unto Christ, loving him with all of our faculties, loving our neighbor as ourselves. And he sums sums up this teaching as he comes to verse 18. He says, grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And as we sang just a moment ago, to him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. In this passage, we're 
both by Peter reminding us of the past and looking forward to the future, we are reminded in this time of the year where we celebrate Christ's first advent, we're reminded that we ought to look forward to his second advent, that God is faithful. I think it needs to be one of those things as we, as I said at the beginning, that I appreciate the fact of celebrating Christmas because it reminds us of God's past faithfulness, his present faithfulness, and his future faithfulness. I also, just as I spoke with the kids, it is a, an interesting thing that we go through with Christmas as it is that anticipation of the day coming where we get to enjoy all these good things, blessings that God has given us, family and gifts, giving gifts and receiving gifts, there's an anticipation towards that, but there, and there's also a preparation for it. We, we're preparing our homes to receive our family and friends. We're doing the shopping that's needed for food and for gifts. There's a lot of preparation that goes toward the day of celebration. And we ought to remember that as we are now looking forward to Christ coming again. We are in this place of anticipating, but also of preparing, being diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish in that peace. It is a preparation that we are, ought to be busy about. So we don't want to be short-sighted like the scoffers are, but we want to live in the light and hope of God's faithfulness and the fulfillment of his promise and promises in eternity. We want to live in a manner worthy of our calling. As, as Paul oftentimes in his letter talks about living in a manner worthy of his calling, it's a picture of, of our citizenship, that we are citizens, that we are children of God, that his image is, image is impressed upon us, and therefore we owe him our everything and ought to live for him. And as clear as the coin that the, the scribes and Pharisees held up to Christ who had the, that had the image of Caesar on it, that they were then to rent, pay their taxes, render to Caesar what is Caesar's, we have God's image. And as we are in Christ, it is being renewed more and more and into his image until that per, our salvation uh, our sanctification is, is made perfect at the day that we stand face to face with Christ. But we ought to render our lives to our maker. Living lives of holiness and godliness. We need to be diligent to hold fast to the truth as the world around us will tell us that these things are just fables and fairy tales, myths. As the world tells us that, hey, that's good for you. And it's healthy for you to believe these things, to have hope. In fact, it's probably created because we are longing for some hope. So we've created this whole construct in our mind to give us a false sense of assurance. But that's okay because that's healthy for us. No, we can say, no, this is the absolute truth. It is the word of God, and I can trust it fully. I 
we can be sure of God's promises in his word. As we come to the communion table, as I said, this is one of those things that God has given us to, for the purpose of remembering what he has done, but looking forward to what he will do. As John read in Isaiah 25, this great promise that we see mentioned again in Revelation 21, Isaiah 25, verse 6, says, On this mountain the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food full of marrow, of aged wine well refined. And he will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all peoples, the veil that is spread over all nations. He will swallow up death forever, and the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces. And the reproach of his people he will take away from all the earth, for the Lord has spoken. It will be said on that day, behold, this is our God. We have waited for him that he might save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. This small feast that we partake of in the Lord's Supper is a reminder not only that Jesus gave up his body and spilled his lifeblood for us, but as a reminder also of the great feast that we will enjoy of well-aged wine, of rich food full of marrow. And we sit at his table and he will serve us. And we'll say, ah, this is what we have waited for. All the pain that we and sorrows that we have endured. Though I can't believe I thought those were so overwhelming. It pales in comparison to all of this. We are waiting for him. Jesus tells us in Revelation 22, verse 20, he says, Surely I am coming soon. We don't know what soon is, but we sure hope it's very soon. But we can be confident that even if soon means 10,000 years from now, it's his perfect timing to gather to himself all, every single person who he desires to be worshiping him, glorifying him, and enjoying him throughout all eternity. So we can say with John, come, Lord Jesus. Let's pray, and we'll celebrate the Lord's Supper together. Father, we do worship you and glorify you for what you have done for us. I praise you that we have a long history, not only in each and every individual life here that can look back and see your faithfulness, but also a long history, Father, since the very beginning of your faithfulness. For your promise at the very beginning of Genesis 3.15 that you would send a rescuer, a savior, even to now. Help us in as much as we are longing for your return, not to lose sight of your faithfulness, not to lose hope, but to remember that you are patient, that you are 
gracious and merciful and kind and loving. You don't, don't desire for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. Help us to be a people who go out into the world and live lives of holiness and godliness, who live lives in obedience to your command, who live lives in obedience to your revealed will, so that those around us can say, what and why do you have such hope? And we can be heralds of righteousness, heralds of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Father, I pray that as we come before the celebration of the Lord's Supper, that you would strengthen us and nourish us, nourish us in it as we spiritually feed on Christ and what he has done for us and help us to look forward to, our, to that day where we will feast in your presence. That day when the great promise of Scripture that you will be our God, we will be your people, and you will dwell with us and we with you. Father, help us to long for that and to be people who are diligent to be found by you without spot or blemish and at peace. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this audio presentation from Community Bible Church. For more information, please visit us at 6005 Edmondson Pike in Nashville, Tennessee, or online at cbcnashville.org.